Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Good to be back with you. Uh, today's episode uh, was a fun one. I'm always fascinated by generations and how they can work together effectively. And there's this generation that we've not been necessarily talking about recently, which is Generation Z. They're coming up in the workplace. We talk about millennials so often. You know, 2020, there's going to be 50% millennials uh, making up the workforce. And I think that's true. And we're definitely adapting to the workplace uh, because of millennials. But there's this other generation we got to watch out for. The ones who are digitally native, ones who are so adapted to technology, they're maybe individualistic as well. They have a lot of tendencies that might be similar to millennials, but I think you'll be surprised how vastly different they are. So I brought on Corey C. Miller and Megan Grace. They're the authors of Generation Z, A Century in the Making. And we had a very awesome discussion, uh, a long one, but I think you're going to love this. Uh, We talked about the background on Gen Z, who are they? We talked about the impact that they're going to have in the workplace. What are they going to be like at work? And uh, we finally ended by talking about how employers can prepare for this new generation that's entering the workforce. So let us know how you uh, enjoyed the podcast. Uh, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. We're on Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, you can even get us on the Amazon Alexa. Just talk to your Alexa app and say, play the human resources for small business podcast. So you can get us a lot of different ways, but we'd appreciate any feedback, any review. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. You can reach me there. Follow me on Instagram, send me a message, whatever you want to do. And of course, I always like to do random drawings for books. We always like to give away books because we love to learn. So give us a review, fill out our survey, the links in the show notes. If you do one of those two things, I'll uh, do a drawing this within the next week for a winner of a book and I'll reach out to you if you win. Thanks so much. Enjoy the episode with Corey C. Miller and Megan Grace. Hey, Corey, Megan, it is so great to have you in the podcast. Welcome. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Brandon. We're excited to be here. Yeah, so you wrote a book, you co-authored a book, Generation Z, A Century in the Making. And I know you, you've worked together on some other projects, maybe some other books. Why Generation Z? Why, the, like, what, like, wh- why so much research? This is a well-thought-out research book. I couldn't believe how many sources you cited and how much data. How did you get into this? It's a great story how you know we, we were working at a university together, and we just noticed a difference in the types of students that were coming. And we decided to try to figure out what was going on, and we realized we were at what would be considered a generational uh, transition. And so we both were interested in jumping in and figuring out a little bit more about 
who these new students were in higher education. And that was back in 2013. And here we are today with this group of students. Actually, many of them have gone on and graduated college and are in the workforce today. And so we've been following this group for, for quite a while now uh, in terms of doing research and writing about them. Yeah, I think what's fascinating is uh, in the HR world that I'm in, all we hear is millennials, 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 millennials are into the workforce. It's going to be, you know, 50% of the workforce is going to be millennials by 2020. You know, like the stats I just hear over and over again, but this Generation Z is coming up and, and you even made the point that they're entering the workforce. So how is this generation defined in terms of like, when when were they born? Uh, what's the age ranges? Because I know like these these generations, they have humongous ranges. So I'm curious, who is this group? So this is the group that's born between 1995 and 2010. So quick math on that. It's pretty much the majority of the youth, teen, and young, and the youngest of the young adult population. So it's really anyone that's turning 24 this year on the older end and turning nine on the younger end. So they are absolutely their majority of our educational population right now, our student populations, but they are entering the workforce, you know, year after year. Some are foregoing college and some are going to college and they're on their way in gra- in, into graduating and becoming um, members of organizations and employees. And so it's a really timely conversation to be having um, and pre- preparing for this new group of young people entering the workforce. We utilize the name Gen Z. There's a few other different names that have kind of floated around, but Gen Z is the the name that we heard first and we kind of gravitate towards it because it doesn't really assign their uh, their name to any particular context that shapes them. So there's some other names that float out around there that are very technologically focused, but we know that there's so much more contributing to this group beyond just the technological capacity of, of the group. And so we use Gen Z. It makes sense. We've the generations that came before them, Gen X, and then Gen Y, who then became millennials. And so Z follows, you know, an alphabet, and that's totally fine. I think it gives it opportunity for their definition and their characteristics to be a little bit broader beyond just technology. If there's anything I've learned, like, because I've read a couple books on generations, and I always find it so fascinating, because we always try to put broad strokes on (laughs) these generations. And of course, you know, like, I'm a millennial, but I'm on the upper end. So I have some exer tendencies, as well as, you know, younger millennials, I'm sure they can relate with some of the Gen Zers, because they're, they're right on that little gap there. So how are how is this generation of Gen Z? How are they similar or maybe different from millennials or any other generation before them? Well, you know, that's a great question because there's this idea that, you know, there's these age ranges, which in many cases, most generational researchers can't agree on. Um, so the first, the start and the stop of, the, of generational age ranges are typically, a, you know, one to two years difference. So it's not really as, as clean of a, of a transition. And in addition to that, you know, someone in, in our case born in 1994 isn't going to be vastly different from someone in 1995. But the way that it works, though, is that generations are typically divided out by um, by some type of a large context that happened in society that really had some kind of shaping of that generation. And, and to give you context, Gen Zers, the oldest of them were in kindergarten when 9-11 happened. So their, their, their experience and their lives are incredibly different in terms of what millennials grew up with. And so you will see some similarities in terms of 
both um, groups have high percentages of their membership is using, you know, very tech savvy, not all, but, you know, very, very comfortable technology, you know, digital users, digital natives, that kind of thing. And you'll see that they both um, have kind of this youthful optimism. Uh, millennials were that hope and change generation that came out for, you know, the 2008 election. You saw a lot of folks in that realm. And, and you know, you see a lot of uh, a lot of the Gen Zers are really hoping in, you know, for, for large scale change towards things that are more progressive. And so, you know, as you're younger, you're a little bit more progressive in your politics um, tendencies with, with your social politics. So you're going to see some similarities in that sense. But as far as their characteristics and motivations and things, they're very different. You know, Generation Z is really defined as being responsible, driven, and realistic, kind of pragmatic, like their Gen X parents um, who are, you know, if you think of Gen X, they're independent, autonomous, do it my way. And they're raising kids that look kind of like them. Uh, millennials, on the other hand, you know, are, are characterized as being a little bit more hopeful and optimistic and, you know, sometimes a sense of having a sense of entitlement, um, whether that's good or bad. But really, that's the, the, the definers of, of, you know, the millennials. And, and so there's some some differences in that sense. Um, the motivations are different. Uh, millennials are often motivated by rewards and incentives, knowing that I'm going to, you know, maybe get a new job or get a pay raise or those kinds of things where um, the motivations of Gen, Gen Z are really around relationships and passion. And can I fulfill what I want to do because of what I love? As far as things like feedback, millennials need a lot of, of feedback, a lot of positive mm-hmm. feedback. Am I on the right track? Where Gen Z says, just tell me like it is, even if it's bad, just tell <laughs> me. I just want to know, please don't let me continue to embarrass myself by making a mistake that you could have helped correct me. So they both like feedback, but they like it differently. Um, a couple of the things that are really distinctly different, especially in the workplace, is millennials really like collaboration. <clears throat> they like to be able to work with others on teams. And you saw things like shared workspaces and pods and those kind of things with millennials. Gen Z often wants to work on their own. They say, you know, I'll be there for a meeting, Skype me in, or I'll even come in. But I want to, I want a project and then I want to go away for a while and then I want to come back with my project being done. And if you, if you look at it closer, that looks a lot like, again, their Gen X parents. So we have an interesting workforce where we have, you know, Gen X potentially in you know, middle level or higher level manager positions. You got millennials potentially supervising Gen Z, and then you got your Gen Zers that look a lot like the millennials bosses. So, so there are some interesting, um, you know, things that have to do with technology and kind of social politics that they're similar with. But in terms of their styles and motivations in the workplace, they look quite different. So before I want to spend a bunch of time on how Gen Z is going to impact the workplace. But I, I, what I love about your book is it really helps uh, under, gets us to understand who this Gen Z group is, what influences they have, what they care about, their, their stance on politics, how they treat money, those sort of things. So before we dive into the workplace stuff, I'd love for you guys to, to talk about some of the attributes that this Gen Z group has. So I want to first ask you, what do they care about? And I know that's a big question, but what makes them tick? You know, what, what's important to them? Well, you know, a couple things. You know, when we did our first study, we found that, uh, that most of them cared about things that affected all people and not just them. And that was kind of an interesting finding. It was this idea that I'm really worried about something larger than me. And mm. that seems to be a theme that resonates across all of our research and other people's research is that they care about the larger societal structure of making the world a better place, which is, you know, is interesting. So I care about the economy, not just am I going to have enough money to pay the bills. So there's a larger sense of responsibility to their, you know, humankind, I would say. 
But some of the social issues that they're really passionate about are things that center around human rights. They're really concerned about things around racism, sexism, mm -hmm. um, and, and inclusive, inclusive policies. They want to shop at places that are inclusive. They want to work at places that are inclusive. They want to go to school at places that are inclusive. And, um, and that's a real value for them. They also really, they have a lot of concerns around technology. Not, I mean, some of it is, and we talk about it in our book, is around the ethics of technology, but some of it is around this notion that technology, while convenient, is, is getting in the way of authentic connection. And some of them are really worried that they themselves are not skilled enough or will be skilled enough to have actual conversations with human beings because wow. there's so much reliance on technology. I don't have to call that 1-800 number anymore and maybe talk to somebody. Instead, now I'm doing a virtual chat. Is that the same kind of connection? Um, I'm ordering from Amazon or I'm ordering online from someone else. Do I need to go down to my local store and talk to somebody? And so that's a concern for them. They're also really concerned about the environment. And in our first study, we found that that wasn't as huge of a concern. And in our second study, it was monumental. And the, the time periods in which we collected data will probably be insightful onto the, sh the shift in our um, in some of our politics around the environmental issues that are you know we're facing. So we saw a major, major change in that uh, in terms of being concerned about the environment. But these are just some of the social issues that they're really worried about. But they're also, like I said, pragmatists. They're worried about things like the economy. Are there going to be enough jobs for everyone? Mm -hmm. Are we going to be able to pay for health care? Are we going to be able to pay our bills? Do I have? Do we just all have enough money to, to make it? Do we have good schools for kids to go to? Um, they're really worried about K-12 education, yet we surveyed them after they had left K-12 education. They just want to make sure that all the kind of pragmatic issues in society are humming along and doing well, and that that's just something we shouldn't have to worry about. I'm always fascinated with generations because during, you know, during each generation, there, there tends to be events that happen, whether it's, you know, war or stock market crashing or, or powerful and amazing leaders that we get to look up to. And I'm curious, for this generation, Generation Z, what are some of the most influential things that have happened or people that they've grew up watching that really sh have shaped their belief system? So we look at the the different influences in our new book that and how these different influences in society have really shaped all of our modern generations. And we primarily look at a few different areas of influence. So we're looking at technology. We look at what are some of the social issues and the global issues going on um, that we're, we're talking about in our cultures. We're also looking at what's going on in the economy. And then we also look at what's going on in government and politics. And so we think about how these large societal issues and these influences help shape this cohort group and perspective. And so we think about technology for Gen Z, we have an increased ability to find more information and more connection online. And Corey talks about the the ethics of being online and being connected almost all the time. And that is a very important shaping component of this generation, again, but it's not the only thing shaping this group. And so uh, we're, we're all using technology and social media. And it feels like for Gen Z that they're on it 24-7 and this this connection to it. We all, They're also raised in a time in which the social media component of connection boomed. And so for them, they've always been living life online and in person and developing identities and ex and expressing who they are and making friends and navigating the world both like with a foot on in the online world and foot in the physical world. And that's an interesting technological component of who they are. Um, when we think about big 
societal, social issues. We can look to what are the big issues our country and our world is discussing and and facing at the time. So we talk a lot about inclusion issues, but we're also talking um, about climate change and we're talking um, about immigration and some of these issues that continue to to rise um, in conversation. But additionally, we're looking at how some issues um, and big monumental events will Im- will impact this group. So we think about how the very oldest in this generation were only in kindergarten when 9-11 took place, but that has fundamentally shaped our world since then. And half of this generation, more than half of this generation is learning about 9-11 from a historical perspective as opposed from a firsthand account. And I think that's an, a very um, interesting, tangible societal event we can look at, but we also look at the economy. So this group has developing their mindset around money and how they spend their money, how they save their money, what they do with it um, coming out of the recession. So they have been deemed kind of the recession kids where they were maybe not themselves uh, impacted firsthand by the recession, but people very close to home, their parents, family members, and and other adults might have lost jobs, foreclosed on houses, um, and are having really important conversations around finances with with the young people in their lives. And so they're learning their financial conservatism and their financial behaviors um, coming in out of a post-recession world. And the recession really did change a lot. I mean, we think about the way that the job market and the economy changed after that, being raised in a gig economy and an idea economy and how that's changed the way we look at work. But then we also have to to keep in mind that we're also looking at government and uh, political influences. So it's a really interesting time um, to be studying what's going on, even just alone in our country, but even on a global scale of what is happening with politics and how that's going to shape young people's perspective on the institution of government and how politics can be a method to addressing some of these issues. And so we think about really large scale influence of government and politics, thinking about who's elected into leadership and what that leadership does um, is, is impacting today's young people on if they will vote, how they will vote, and how they'll interact in government, whether they will participate themselves as leaders. So we look at a, a few different primary sources of influence of what is shaping young people today. And it's a it's kind of an ongoing case study because some of these influences are are continually evolving. Like technology is a great example of that. I think about the way that some of the technology that Gen Z was using even two years ago doesn't exist anymore. And there's new forms of social media popping up every, every other day is what it seems like. And so we are kind of trying to continually or find what are these major influences. You both have talked about how technology has really probably shaped a lot of their beliefs and their behaviors and even maybe lack of emotional intelligence and <laughs> just communication skills in general. And I'm really curious like with with technology, how uh, they tend to use it because it, the, seemingly it seems like this, this generation, they basically grew up or were born with a device in their hands. A, a funny story, my son, who is about seven, I don't think he falls into Generation Z technically, but this weekend he was watching YouTube and he said to me, Dad, what kind of YouTube videos did you watch when you were at my age? And I'm like, I just couldn't help but to laugh because he just be- he grew, he's grown up with this technology that on-demand content, you could watch cool, funny videos whenever you want. And I'm just like, I was in college when YouTube came out, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so it just there's just no awareness around how life used to be. I can remember, Megan, you could probably relate to this because I think you're a millennial, but I remember a time where there was really email was just coming out 
And AOL Instant Messenger back in high school for me was like a, a crazy, amazing communication tool. Oh, and if then you all these... on AOL, it's like a big deal. Like I remember, uh, like, Mom, right. I need to get home because my friends right. are online. And that was like early, early days. But I also can remember a time where uh, in elementary school where I'm using my parents' landline that's connected with a cord. And, it, you know, if somebody wanted to get through it had a busy signal so we we basically grew up in this time where i can remember it where there's basically little digital versus like now it's everything's on demand and so this gen z what are their tendencies with technology because since they've grown up with it they they're used to it they're digitally native like talk talk to me about that yeah their technology is uh it's a fascinating kind of phenomenon with it because we've, I think technology is one of those things that because it's so integrated into all of our lives, sometimes we have to pause and like take that moment and be like, oh yeah, wait, YouTube wasn't around when I was seven. Um, <laughs> and thinking about because technology is intended to be a tool to help us navigate the world. And so in, in its purest form of the definition of technology, like technically prehistoric age, like what they had in terms of technology was rocks and sharp objects. And that's what they had to navigate the world. And, and, and so we, I, like to take that look at it of technology is the way that Gen Z is navigating the world and they have just been afforded very advanced technology and they've become very tech savvy and they're beyond that. They're, they're tech integrated. They are so comfortable using different devices and sometimes different devices at different at the same time. And they're multitasking across these different devices. Whereas that seems so difficult um, to even think about even, I, I love the memes or like, you know, the things online where it'll be like, yeah, like back when I was a, a teenager, I had to have like an iPod, a cell phone, and a camera <laughs> to go places. And like that all fits into one device for Gen Z. And they're wielding such powerful technology in their the palms of their hands. And it's, to them, it is a, a way to remain connected to a world that is, is far greater than just the kids they grew up with on their street. And so I think about the way that, again, technology is how they're living their life, both one foot in the physical world and one foot in the the digital world. But it's how they're helping like build connection with people. We we kind of dive into how they build relationships with, and friendships especially um, are facilitated in fundamentally new ways that they can connect with people that live in a different state, in a different city, a different country, but they're finding people that they are connected with. And that's um, both scary uh, because you don't really know who that person might be, but it's also helping people find connection. Um, it's also helping them live life potentially more efficiently. Like if they wanted to order everything online for school and never leave the comfort of their residence hall where our college students, they could do that and have it all delivered on Amazon. And so in some ways, it's it's the way that they're thinking about how do I live life most efficiently and effectively um, in, in their concept, but also staying connected. And so it is, it's just this great tool that they've got and that they're very, they very are, they very much so are connected. And I think about the ways that connection for them is facilitated through social media. I think sometimes older generations might look at social media as a point of distraction, that um, it's just a place where you're, you're you know, just wasting your time. But for them, it's it's where their world is. It's where their friends are. It's where they're sharing about themselves, expressing their identity, making these important connections that do mean a lot. But again, we know that we have to be careful about what is the healthy line of, of too much technology. And of course, there's always studies that are being done about at what point is there too much technology infused into our lives. And I'm really fascinated by this. And I've been kind of engaging in this a little bit more on my own is this idea of digital detox of how do we find our healthy balance of utilizing time online and, and feeling dis uh, finding ways to disconnect at, at a healthy rate um, and not feeling like we have to be online all the time. And I know those are conversations that young people are having, especially as I 
work more with the, the college age setting of balancing the pressure to be online, but also being present in the physical moment. For other generations who might be looking in at Gen Z, what can you tell them about how they communicate? This Generation Z, they're, they're with te- technology, they're probably using Snapchat and not on Facebook necessarily. Like, how can we expect to communicate with them? Yeah, so we looked at communication in a a few different ways. And so we did look at their social media use in our in our studies. And, you know, they are using things like Snapchat and Instagram to connect with their friends and their peers more. Um, And they are gravitating away toward away from Facebook. That's just a place where it's more saturated with more people than sometimes it's literally everyone that they know. And so it's not necessarily a peer only place or a friends only place because their aunt, their uncle, their neighbor from back home, everyone is there. And so they're using Facebook because it's a great way to kind of manage a very large network, but they're not using it in the same levels of frequency or prominence that they might with other social media platforms. They also are utilizing video-based social media a lot more frequently. So things like, yes, Snapchat, but also YouTube is incredibly, incredibly important to this group, as well as things like TikTok. So TikTok is one that I just learned about. And so it's not <laughs> like I learned about it last week. Um, and it's Same something here. that is just gaining so much prominence and especially with, you know, the teens and, and young adult group of uh, these quick videos that are not full, maybe not full on YouTube videos, but a way that they're kind of gaining following and, and community there. So video based social media is incredibly important because they want to see the, the faces of the people that they're interacting with. In terms of like methods, of interpersonal, just person-to-person communication, they actually do still prefer this face-to-face or in-person communication when possible. And so not only did we look at social media, we also looked at preferences and and where they place value and how to communicate. And they do, they place high value on face-to-face communication and in-person communication. We know that's not always the case. And so they do still lean on text messaging and messaging platforms pretty heavily, um, especially with people that are closest to home to them. And they are gravitating away from emailing and phone calls. And it's not necessarily that they're completely anti-phone calls or completely anti-email. They just find that there's other more efficient ways to connect with people um, and potentially at higher frequencies. And so for them, texting is quicker. It's something that is more mobile sometimes in email. And it it is just a quicker method to connect with people. I think that's going to be really interesting in the way that that infuses into the workplace. But I think the thing that is, is most interesting and most important when we look at this is how do we simulate this really important face-to-face communication when we know that distance and work remote is becoming more and more common? And how do we build those those connections? Because relationships are a fundamentally motivating factor for this generation. This group, they're they're still growing up in a in an education system that was built a long time ago and likely built for the the typical blue collar worker. So they're sitting in desks. There we have the traditional school, the textbook, uh, lecture style. But there's a lot of cool things coming out, whether it's MOOCs or other online uh, learning systems. And I'm really curious what their preference is because we've already talked about how they adapt to technology. They grew up with technology, and I'm really curious how that's shaping the way that they learn, either in the classroom, all the way, uh, you know, from elementary school up to high school to now college, and now they're graduating, so they're entering the workforce, and they're going to continue to learn. So I'm curious 
what their learning preferences actually are. Because I think for employers, they're going to want to know how they need to develop these people. Absolutely. And, you know, in our most recent study, learning actually came up as something that the, that the, the students that we had surveyed said was really important in a future career was the ability to continue to have lifelong learning. And so you're going to see that whether or not an employer offers it, they're going to want to have it. And they want it in a specific way. They, we, we found an interesting uh, finding that this group prefers intrapersonal learning over interpersonal learning, which basically means they like to learn on their own rather than with yeah. others. Yeah. And, you know, that's really different from millennials who, you know, they're the group oriented collaborative uh, group that, that really wants to be around others. And so in the Gen Z, says, hey, tell me what I need to learn, and I'm going to go learn it by myself. Um, but think about it in this perspective, though. This, this generation is also social learners. They're, they're a group of social learners. So they like to be around others who are learning, but they don't necessarily want to learn with them. So they want to say, hey, I want to look at some videos. I love video-based learning. I want to do that. But I might want to be in a class with six other people sitting here. We're all looking at the same video on our own devices because I want that individual learning. So, so there's something that's social in nature about coming together, but not necessarily learning together. And that definitely impacts the way that they're learning now in their school system, but how they would want to learn in any kind of professional development opportunities. And because of all the information they can get online, they can do a lot of self-learning. And that's probably why they like videos and probably why they like the interpersonal is, hey, if I want to know something, I don't have to wait until the seminar next week to go and learn about it. I can get online and I can learn how to do an Excel spreadsheet or I can watch a tutorial on how to change my tire on my car all right now in, in you know, on-demand, just-in-time learning. And that's what they're used to. So, you know, that's going to impact also things that are elective professional development opportunities where they say, oh, I'm going to go to this conference in six months and I'm going to learn about this new thing. Well, they have six months to have learned about it before they even go to the conference because they will seek that out on their own. And shifting over to the workplace, I'm curious, uh, they're growing up in an interesting time in this economy where uh, the gig economy, where, you know, people are getting odd contract type work and the nine to five is just sort of not that appealing probably to this group anymore. I'm curious if they're more likely to have an office job, maybe do some blue collar type work, go to the trades and not have that white collar type job that's seemingly becoming more available nowadays. Or if they're really like, you talked about individualistic and isolated, maybe they're entrepreneurial and want to start a business and and really participate in this gig economy. So I'm curious if there's any sort of generalization you could put to that. What can we expect out of this group? Well, yeah, they're actually showing tendencies right now. Um, There's even studies that that are looking at high schoolers that are engaging in the gig economy and are transitioning that into careers. So it's it's different than when I was younger, we might babysit, but I wasn't going to be a professional babysitter when I finished high school, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. but um, you know, the, these young people, a lot of them are taking on initiatives where they're even starting nonprofits and they're, they're selling things and they're reselling on eBay and they're doing all sorts of things that are really innovative when they're 16 and 17 years old. And when they get to that age where they say, Hey, should I go to college? Some of them say, well, why I'm doing something really interesting and worthwhile and revenue generating right now, maybe I'll forego that or postpone it. And then some of them continue, they go to college and then they continue to do those entrepreneurial initiatives. So um, we, we, um, we talk about in our book about half of them want to work for themselves. Um, and, and whether that means they want to have a business with employees or they just want to be in the gig economy as a freelancer, it could be any of those, but they have a, an interest in working for themselves. And, you know, it's not really surprising. Gen X actually, they're, in their stage of life, 
as they are kind of now and more recently, they have had a strong value of work-life balance. They said, I'm not going to miss out on my kids' school play. I'm going to coach their t-ball team and I'm going to have my career. And their kids, the Gen Zers, saw that. And so many of them have an interest in work-life balance too and say, I'm not going to work around the clock. I will work throughout the clock, but not around the clock. I'm not going to be a workaholic. And um, and, you know, and baby boomers have been noted as being a workaholic generation. And so it's really tough when you're in an organization to, you know, have have this difference of what it means to be, quote, a team player. But Gen Z says, hey, I don't know if I want to participate in that. Some will go a traditional career route and some will go into organizations. But many say, I want to create my own hours. I want to be in charge of my own fate. If a recession hits, I want to be in charge of whether or not I'm fired. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and they want to just kind of have some sense of, of control and their own passions to you know explore without having to do it under the auspice of someone else. So you're going to see um, a greater sense of entrepreneurialism with this group. Again, not all, but you're going to see a great uh, number of them continuing in the gig economy and or joining it um, once they are done with high school or college. So for all the recruiters out there listening, th- this question is going to be for them. Uh, so let's say this Gen Z, they're, they're entering the workforce. They are looking for that typical nine to five type office job. Where are they searching for jobs? Are they using LinkedIn like a lot of us are? Are they looking at job board? Like, can you shed some light on on how they're using the internet? Absolutely. Well, they are using a number of different sources to get jobs. I mean, this is a fairly well connected generation. They have you know friends and followers all over the world. So, you know, somebody might be a second or third connection or a friend of a friend, and they can hear about a job that way. So they're certainly using their networks. And they trust their peers more than they trust just about anyone else other than maybe their parents. And so if a peer sends them a job listing or says, hey, I saw this, they're going to trust their peer and go after, um, you know, learning more about that job. So a lot of it's in just the informal networks that they have. But in the formal ones, they are using online job boards. So they are getting on there. Um, they're using they're using LinkedIn more so for professional networking. Some of them who are more enterprising, who might be starting up their own businesses or initiatives are getting on there and they're trying to connect with other like-minded people. But they're not necessarily on LinkedIn just scouring for jobs um, like some older folks might be doing. Um, they, they're using their college career centers still. But a lot of them are also open to employers reaching out to them. Uh, and in, in various formats, whether, you know, so you're connected with somebody on, on social media and you say, oh, you know, hey, I'm looking for somebody who might be interested in this. And then, you know, you create that relationship and there's a direct application that comes from that. So they're really kind of open to various ways of, of looking for jobs. They also are open to video resumes, which I thought was really interesting. This idea of, you know, I want to record myself telling my story about yeah, who I am yeah, and what I care that. about rather than sending you a piece of paper. Um, and so that's kind of interesting too. Their whole notion about how to how to look for and get jobs might be just different than what we're used to. When we look at what this Gen Z wants out of an employer, what are they looking for in terms of quality? Is it values? Is it work life balance? Is it money? Like, what are they looking for when they're they're searching for that job? Well, you know, you would you would think, especially a, a generation that feels pretty stressed about money and recession kids, <laughs> yeah. that they would be looking for a job that pays them well. And while they want to have a, a good wage to be able to pay their bills, that was definitely not one of the, the strongest influencers in the research we found. And, and other studies have shown that too, that this generation is looking more for places to work that do a couple things. One, they want the organization to align with their personal values. So things around social issues, uh, environmental issues, they want that, they want to feel good about where they're working. 
They also want to do work that matters. And in their mind, matters is fairly broad. They want to feel fulfilled knowing that every day they go to work, they do something that is making a difference for someone else. And so a lot of times we don't position the, the roles and the jobs that we have as work that matters. It's like, hey, we're hiring for an accountant and this is what you need to do. But what, what is that accountant really doing? They're helping balance the budget for XYZ initiative that is helping something in society. And if we can start making the link between just jobs and making them into how is it impacting society positively, that's what these Gen Zers are looking for. They say, I want to not just be an accountant. I want to be an accountant that's doing this and making a difference in the lives of people. And so they want to go to work every day, feel fulfilled, feel like they've made some type of a difference and come home at night and feel that, you know, they have, they have made an impact. They also really want an opportunity for transparency. They say, I don't care if things are going really horribly in this organization. Just be honest with us. Call us together in a meeting as a big boss and say, listen, we did not hit our numbers, but that's okay. This is what we're going to do. They want organizations not just to work for, but they want to even shop at, at companies that, that say, I'm sorry when, we, when they mess up. And they want to work at organizations that say that. They know that organizations are going to make mistakes, but they want them to own it and be, and be authentic and transparent about what, what they did. And kind of the last thing that's really important for them is really the opportunity to try new roles and tasks. Their entrepreneurial um, spirit isn't just um, kind of relegated to being an entrepreneur. Organizations can really capitalize on the spirit by giving opportunities for these young people to be intrapreneurs. It's taking that entrepreneurial spirit and bringing it into the organization and giving them tasks that they can basically have ownership over to feel like they are an entrepreneur of their own projects, where they have the same type of an investment and freedom and flexibility to actually execute something without interference from lots of people and then be able to go off and do it on their own. And it feels like being an entrepreneur. And this is this would really draw uh, Gen Zers into organizations. So these are just some of the things that they're looking for. They just want work. They want to be able to do work that matters and be able to mm -hmm. do it in a way that makes sense for them and fulfills them so they can come home at night and feel good about what they do. You had a fascinating section on mental health. And, and one point in there I wanted to, to bring out uh, to light is the fear of missing out or FOMO, as a lot of people would say. Uh, I don't know if this this stems from their social media use, where they, they you know they see their friends out partying, but they weren't invited, and, and and so they're they're sort of at home by themselves, and they're seeing other people participating in something they want to participate in. How does this like? Uh, how does this go into the workplace where? we can include them in things. I know inclusivity is very important to them. And again, maybe it comes from the, the personal stuff that they, they've seen from social media. But how do we make sure that this, this generation feels very included uh, with the work that they're doing into the culture that they're in within a workplace? Yeah, absolutely. And you hit it right on the head. This idea of this, this fear of missing out. I mean, it's really, I mean, well, it's a, it's a thing that happens with young people. I mean, even when, before we had internet, I was worried that I didn't get invited to somebody's birthday party, but <laughs> now you can put that all over the internet because before I didn't even know somebody was having a birthday party. I wasn't invited to. And now I, you know, <laughs> you get to see that. Yeah and, yeah. and so, you know, in the workplace, I think that this, this shows up in, in two ways. One is they want inclusive workplaces around identity. They want to be able to be free to be who they are, gender expression or, you know, whatever that might might look like, whatever identities they might have. And they want to feel that not only are they feeling included, but the workplace includes everyone and that they see diversity as an asset and not as something that is to be exclusive. 
And so that's really important to them. And we've found that across even political spectrum, this idea of inclusion and open-mindedness is something that's incredibly important for this generation. But the second thing is that this idea of missing out also would be, you know, a lot of them will come in with these, you know, into these entry-level positions. And while they can't be at the, the board meeting, because that's just not the level that they're at per se, they want to, again, be included in this uh, idea of a better understanding of the organization. Going back to that idea of the transparency. I don't have to be there. You don't have to listen to me. But I just want to be included in knowing what's going on. Don't keep me in the dark. And, and that's really critical. Um, so this inclusion goes beyond just social identity. It's just in, include me as part of this organization. Make me feel like what I do matters to this place, regardless of what my job is. We've talked a lot about communication uh, with this generation. And I'm curious, like when they get into the workplace, should we expect to adapt to their way of communicating? Can they adapt to us? Do we meet in the middle somewhere? Like, what can we expect out of the way they communicate and how they're going to probably slowly change the way we all communicate at work? So I think it's it's a matter of this idea of do, who adapts to who in the workplace. And I don't think that, that that just paints a picture of like a tug of war of who wins in my mind. And I don't really know if that's necessarily the most effective for organizations. I think that there's a lot that we can all learn from each other, but that takes a lot of relationship building and a lot of time and recognizing the differences between the the multiple generations that are existing within these organizations today. So we know that Gen Z gravitates towards, I mean, they have this desire for face-to-face communication, but they gravitate towards text messaging and really quick ongoing communication as opposed to maybe a lengthy email. And so I think that that's going to influence, that's going to have a ruffling effect in organizations that are very heavily email dependent. So I really do think that there's this, this, there needs to be a proactive approach taken Mm -hmm. in learning from each other, um, learning from these different generations. And so we know that Generation Z knows this newer technology, the emerging technology, you know, that they're probably the... The, the first to be able to teach us how to use some of this new and emerging technology to older generations. I know that I'm even like young people teach me the new things all the yeah. time. And, but we know that there's this kind of this area gap of Gen Z's never really needed or hasn't been in spaces really up until recently as the older ones start getting jobs where email is a, a prominent form of communication in their day-to-day lives. And I think this is a really good opportunity for older generations to kind of reframe that mindset around, well, instead of saying, well, these kids don't know how to send an email. Well, they've never mm-hmm. practiced it. They maybe have never had to be guided to how to do that. And so there's an opportunity for some mentorship to you know, discuss the importance of checking that email, but also how to write a professional email. I know that Corey does a great job with even her students in her classes and using it as a professional and career development component of her classes of, you know, this is how you should write a professional email. You know, can we please make an agreement that you're going to check it at least once a day? Here's how to address an email. Because again, the people that are closest to their lives are their friends and their teachers are their friends and their parents and their teachers who text message them. And so emailing with authority figures is not really a thing they do until they get to college or potentially a job. And so it's like this practice element where we're kind of penalizing and criticizing them for not ever having done it until they get to us. So I think that's a really interesting example of how you know, when a new technology emerges, say moving to a project management app like Slack or Asana or something like that, that is a different spatial way of communicating. It might benefit to have a conversation with a member of Gen Z or, you know, younger millennials, like how do we really implement this and teach people how to use it? And then on the flip side, how does to do older generations mentor 
younger generations on more traditional, but I still think very important forms of professional communication in the workplace. But I think that this idea of how do we adapt to one another is really, it is, I don't think it's adapting. I think it's just being conscientious of, of preference and style, which I think we can apply to lots of different components of work. And so um, even just personality type, like we do a lot of professional training in, in workspaces around like, how do we learn the leadership styles and the uh, the leadership styles, professional styles, and, you know, different styles of, of productivity of members of our team. And I think we can apply that same concept to generation. So what are the things that each generation is bringing to the table? And how do we harness those as strengths as opposed to seeing those as, oh, those are different ways of doing things, but those are wrong. And I think that that's just a, a reworking of the mindset of multi-generational organizations. So what can we learn from each other? How do we smooth some of this friction between um, preferences and communication and find ways that are more effective um, for everybody involved? So besides listeners going to get your book, which I highly recommend because we didn't even cover half of the stuff I wanted to cover. There's so much good stuff in this book and so much to unpack. Besides going to get this book and reading it cover to cover, what can employers do to really prepare themselves for this generation entering the workforce? Well, a few things. One is understand Generation Z to some extent, right? So whether it's yeah. reading our book or reading something, um, just understanding that there is a generational shift of mindset of people coming into the workplace. And, and you know, while we have to have, like Megan was talking about, kind of a, you know, a meet in the middle kind of perspective, learn from each other, the fact is, is they are coming in with less knowledge or experience about how workplaces work and what the expectations are from other generations. So just kind of at least understanding where they're coming from. When, when I do my speaking, I often have people come up to me afterwards and say, oh, this was so helpful for you know my work, but at the same time, wow, I really understand my 14-year-old son. Thanks so much. Because mm, yeah, just, just the insight can be almost like an aha, like I get why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. And so that is going to be one of the biggest things that recommendations just to kind of understand where they're coming from. The other thing is thinking about going back and, and how and looking at how the organization is inclusive, what kinds of practices are embedded? How is that explicit? Is that on the website? If someone was going to be looking for a job, would it be explicitly seen that this organization supports certain causes or has certain policies that are inclusive? How is that evident to those Gen Zers looking at the website or in any any social media or any other way that the, the organization displays itself? But also thinking about are there ways to structure, you know, opportunities in those workplaces to align with the strengths of this generation? Um, we can say, hey, listen, Gen Z, this is, we run the place and you got to pay your dues and come in just like I did. And but, you know, that's that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But at the same time, we have a group of young people that are incredibly motivated and have a lot of uh, passion and talents. And I think organizations would do better instead of saying, hey, you got to pay your dues. So instead say, hey, we want to leverage your capacities in the best way possible. Let's sit down and talk about how to do that. Does that mean that maybe we have rotating positions where you spend, uh, you know, a few months in different jobs to try to figure out what feels like a good fit for you? Does it mean yeah. that we give you some projects, some small projects to work on autonomously? What does that mean? Because the whole goal is to leverage the capacities of everyone in our workplaces. And if it means to better understand each person and each group, to give them opportunities so they can do their best work, they're going to be happier. They're going to stay. They're going to have good morale that's going to affect other people. So I think the goal of organizations would be to say, how do we leverage those talents and passions and just getting to know Gen Z when they come through the door. 
My guests today have been Corey C. Miller and Megan Grace. Their book is Generation Z, A Century in the Making. I want to thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. There's there's so much good stuff in this book. Where can people find your work? What else are you working on? Uh, and, and where do you want to point people to? You can find your book on Amazon.com. Great place. And um, we're also available through our publisher, Rutledge. So both are available online and some other things working on. I actually host a podcast myself that focuses on sharing the stories of members of Generation Z. That's kind of an ongoing project. And Corey and I are always kind of, we're always kind of scheming in the, in the best way possible, scheming um, ways that we can continue to provide resources and, and information for people that are trying to impact the, positively impact the lives of Gen Z. So we're working on some, some guidebooks that are intended to be a little bit more focused area and, and practical application. Corey, did I miss anything? What else are we doing? <laughs> well, we do have um, we do have two um, previous books, uh, Generation Z Goes to College and Generation Z Leads. So those are a little bit more specific, but they are also really, really good uh, resources for information. And our website is chock full of great stuff. It's the genzhub.com. And, and on there, you can find links to all of our work. I have a TED, uh, TEDx talk on there. Um, that you can you can access along with Megan's podcast, and we have a lot of articles, blogs, resources that are that are you know free and available for people to get on and learn more about different aspects of this generation. So our goal is to continue to do research, continue to learn as much as we can, and continue to share that message with with others. Corey, Megan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com. <laughs>